Chapter 14 of The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas. Translated by Alfred Allenson, 1852-1929. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 14. A Village Wedding. He had made but a few steps within the forest when he found himself surrounded by his wolves. He was pleased to see them again. He slackened his pace. He called to them, and the wolves came crowding round him. Thibault caressed them as a shepherd might his sheep, as a keeper of the hounds his dogs. They were his flock, his hunting pack, a flock with flaming eyes, a pack with fine looks. Overhead, among the bare branches, the screech owls were hopping and fluttering, making their plaintive calls, while the other owls uttered their melancholy cries in concert. The eyes of these night birds shone like winged coals flying about among the trees, and there was Thibault in the middle of it all, the centre of the devilish circle. Even as the wolves came up to fawn upon him and crouch at his feet, so the owls appeared to be attracted towards him. The tips of their silent wings brushed against his hair, some of them alighted to perch upon his shoulder. Ah, murmured Thibault, I am not then the enemy of all created things. If men hate me, the animals love me. He forgot what place the animals who loved him held in the chain of created beings. He did not remember that these animals which loved him were those which hated mankind and which mankind cursed. He did not pause to reflect that these animals loved him because he had become among men what they were among animals, a creature of the night, a man of prey. With all these animals together, he could not do an atom of good, but on the other hand, he could do a great deal of harm. Thibault smiled at the thought of the harm he could do. He was still some distance from the home, and he began to feel tired. He knew there was a large hollow oak somewhere near, and he took his bearings and made for it. But he would have missed his way if the wolves, who seemed to guess his thoughts, had not guided him to it. While flocks of owls hopped along from branch to branch as if to illuminate the way, the wolves trotted along in front to show it him. The tree stood about twenty paces back from the road. It was, as I have said, an old oak, numbering not years, but centuries. Trees which live ten, twenty, thirty times the length of a man's life do not count their age by days and nights, but by seasons. The autumn is their twilight, the winter their night, the spring is their dawn, the summer their day. Man envies the tree, the butterfly envies man. Forty men could not have encircled the trunk of the old oak with their arms. The hollow made by time that daily dislodged one more little piece of wood with the point of its scythe was as large as an ordinary-sized room, but the entrance to it barely allowed a man to pass through. Thibault crept inside. There he found a sort of seat cut out of the thickness of the trunk, as soft and comfortable to sit in as an armchair. Taking his place in it and bidding good night to his wolves and his screech-owls, he closed his eyes and fell asleep, or at least appeared to do so. The wolves lay down in a circle round the tree, the owls perched in the branches. With these lights spread around its trunk, with these lights scattered about its branches, the oak had the appearance of a tree lit up for some infernal revel. It was broad daylight when Thibault awoke. The wolves had long ago sought their hiding places, the owls flown back to their ruins. The rain of the night before had ceased in a ray of sunlight, one of those pale rays which are harbinger of spring, came gliding through the naked branches of the trees and having as yet none of the short-lived verdure of the year to shine upon, lit up the dark green of the mistletoe. From afar came a faint sound of music. Gradually it grew nearer, and the notes of two violins and a hot boy could be distinguished. 
Thibault thought at first that he must be dreaming, but as it was broad daylight and he appeared to be in perfect possession of his senses, he was obliged to acknowledge that he was wide awake, the more so that, having well rubbed his eyes to make quite sure of the fact, the rustic sounds came as distinctly as ever to his ear. They were drawing rapidly nearer. A bird sang, answering the music of man with the music of God, and at the foot of the bush where it sat and made its song a flower, only a snowdrop, it is true, was shining like a star. The sky above was as blue as on April day. What was the meaning of this spring-like festival now in the heart of winter? The notes of the bird as it sang in salutation of this bright unexpected day, the brightness of the flower that shone as if with its radiance to thank the sun for coming to visit it, the sounds of merry-making which told the lost and unhappy man that his fellow-creatures were joining with the rest of nature in their rejoicings under the azure canopy of heaven, all the aroma of joy, all this upspringing of happiness brought no calmer thoughts back to Thibault, but rather increased the anger and bitterness of his feelings. He would have liked the whole world to be as dark and gloomy as was his own soul. On first detecting the sounds of the approaching rural band, he thought of running away from it, but a power stronger than his will, as it seemed to him, held him rooted to the spot. So he hid himself in the hollow of the oak and waited. Merry voices and lively songs could be heard mingling with the notes of the violins and hautboy, now and again a gun went off, or a cracker exploded, and Thibault felt sure that all these festival sounds must be occasioned by some village wedding. He was right, for he soon caught sight of a procession of villagers, all dressed in their best, with long ribbons of many colors, floating in the breeze, some from the women's waists, some from the men's hats or buttonholes. They emerged into view at the end of the long lane of ham. They were headed by fiddlers, then followed a few peasants, and among them some figures which, by their livery, Thibault recognized as keepers in the service of the Lord of Vez. Then came Agoulevant, the second huntsman, giving his arm to an old blind woman who was decked out with ribbons like the others. Then the major-domo of the castle of Vez, as representative probably of the father of the little huntsman, giving his arm to the bride. And the bride herself? Thibault stared at her with wild, fixed eyes. He endeavored but vainly to persuade himself that he did not recognize her. It was impossible not to do so when she came within a few paces from where he was hiding. The bride was Agnelletta. Agnelletta! And to crown his humiliation as if to give a final blow to his pride, no pale and trembling Agnelletta dragged reluctantly to the altar, casting looks behind her of regret or remembrance, but in Agnelletta as bright and happy as the bird that was singing, the snowdrop that flowered, the sunlight that was shining. And Agnelletta, full of delighted pride in her wreath of orange flowers, her tulle veil, and muslin dress, and Agnelletta, in short, as fair and smiling as the virgin in the church at Villers-Cotterets, when dressed in her beautiful white dress at Winsentide. She was no doubt indebted for all this finery to the lady of the castle, the wife of the lord of Vez, who was a true lady bountiful in such matters. But the chief cause of Agnelletta's happiness and smiles was not the great love she felt towards the man who was to become her husband, but her contentment, and having found what she so ardently desired, that which Thibault had wickedly promised to her without really wishing to give her, someone who would help her to support her blind old grandmother. The musicians, the bride and bridegroom, the young men and maidens passed along the road within twenty paces of Thibault, without observing the head with its flaming hair and the eyes with their fiery gleam looking out from the hollow of the tree. Then, as Thibault had watched them appear through the undergrowth, so he watched them disappear. 
as the sounds of the violins and hot boy has gradually become louder and louder so now they became fainter and fainter until in another quarter of an hour the forest was as silent and deserted as ever and thibault was left alone with his singing bird his flowering snowdrop his glittering ray of sunlight but a new fire of hell had been lighted in his heart the worst of the fires of hell that which gnaws at the vitals like the sharpest serpent's tooth and corrodes the blood like the most destructive poison the fire of jealousy on seeing agnelette again so fresh and pretty so innocently happy and worse still seeing her at the moment when she was about to be married to another thibault who had not given a thought to her for the last three months thibault who had never had any intention of keeping the promise which she made her thibault now brought himself to believe that he had never ceased to love her he persuaded himself that agnelette was engaged to him by oath that angoulevent was carrying off what belonged to him and he almost leaped from his hiding-place to rush after her and reproach her with her infidelity agnelette now no longer his at once appeared to his eyes as endowed with all the virtues and good qualities all in short that would make it advantageous to marry her which when he had only to speak the word and everything would have been his he had not even suspected after being the victim of so much deception to lose what he looked upon as his own particular treasure to which he had imagined that it would not be too late to return at any time simply because he never dreamed that any one would wish to take it from him seemed to him the last stroke of ill fortune his despair was no less profound and gloomy that it was a mute despair he bit his fists he knocked his head against the sides of the tree and finally began to cry and sob but they were not those tears and sobs which gradually soften the heart and are often kindly agents in dispersing a bad humour and reviving a better one no they were tears and sobs arising rather from anger than from regret and these tears and sobs had no power to drive the hatred out of thibault's heart as some of his tears fell visibly down his face so it seemed that others fell on his heart within like drops of gall he declared that he loved agnelette he lamented at having lost her nevertheless this furious man with all his tender love would gladly have been able to see her fall dead together with her bridegroom at the foot of the altar when the priest was about to join them but happily god who was reserving the two children for other trials did not allow this fatal wish to formulate itself in thibault's mind they were like those who surrounded by storm hear the noise of the thunder and see the forked flashes of lightning and yet remain untouched by the deadly fluid before long the shoemaker began to feel ashamed of his tears and sobs he forced back the former and made an effort to swallow the latter he came out of his lair not quite knowing where he was and rushed off in the direction of his hut covering a league in a quarter of an hour this mad race however by causing him to perspire somewhat calmed him down at last he recognized the surroundings of his home he went into his hut as a tiger might enter its den closed the door behind him and went and crouched down in the darkest corner he could find in the miserable lodging there his elbows on his knees his chin on his hands he sat and thought and what thoughts were they which occupied this unhappy desperate man ask of milton what were satan's thoughts after his fall he went over again all the old questions which had upset his mind from the beginning which had brought despair upon so many before him and would bring despair to so many that came after him why should some be born in bondage and others be born to power why should there be so much inequality with regard to a thing which takes place in exactly the same way in all classes namely birth 
by what means can this game of natures in which chance forever holds the cards against mankind be made a fairer one and is not the only way to accomplish this to do what the clever gamester does get the devil to back him up he had certainly thought so once to cheat he had tried that game himself and what had he gained by it each time he had held a good hand each time he had felt sure of the game it was the devil after all who had won what benefit had he reaped from this deadly power that had been given to him of working evil to others none agnelletta had been taken from him the owner of the mill had driven him away the bailiff's wife had made game of him his first wish had caused the death of poor marcotta and had not even procured him a haunch of the buck that he had been so ambitious to obtain and this had been the starting point of all his disappointed longings for he had been obliged to give the buck to the dogs so as to put them off the scent of the black wolf and then this rapid multiplication of devil's hairs was appalling he recalled the tale of the philosopher who asked for a grain of wheat multiplied by each of the sixty-four squares of the chessboard the abundant harvests of a thousand years were required to fill the last square and he how many wishes yet remained to him seven or eight at the outside the unhappy man dared not look at himself either in the spring which lurked at the foot of one of the trees in the forest or in the mirror that hung against the wall he feared to render an exact account of himself of the time still left to him in which to exercise his power he preferred to remain in the night of uncertainty than to face that terrible dawn which must rise when the night was over but still there must be a way of continuing matters so that the misfortunes of others should bring him good of some kind he thought surely that if he had received a scientific education instead of being a poor shoemaker scarcely knowing how to read or cipher he would have found out by the aid of science some combinations which would infallibly have procured for him both riches and happiness poor fool if he had been a man of learning he would have known the legend of dr faust to what did the omnipotence conferred on him by mephistopheles lead faust the dreamer the thinker the preeminent scholar to the murder of valentine to margaret's suicide to the pursuit of helen of troy the pursuit of an empty shadow and moreover how could thibault think coherently at all of ways and means while jealousy was raging in his heart while he continued to picture agnelletta at the altar giving herself for life to another than himself and who was that other that wretched little angoulevent the man who had spied him out when he was perched in the tree who had found his boar spear in the bush which had been the cause of the stripes he had received from marcotta ah if he had but known to him and not to marcotta would he have willed that evil should befall what was the physical torture he had undergone from the blows of the strap compared to the moral torture he was enduring now and if only ambition had not taken such hold upon him had not borne him on the wings of pride above his sphere what happiness might have been his as the clever workman able to earn as much as six francs a day with agnelletta for his charming little housekeeper for he had certainly been the one whom agnelletta had first loved perhaps although marrying another man she still loved him and as thibault sat pondering over these things he became conscious that time was passing that night was approaching however modest might be the fortune of the wedded pair however limited the desires of the peasants who had followed them it was quite certain that bride bridegroom and peasants were all at this hour feasting merrily together and he he was sad and alone there was no one to prepare a meal for him and what was there in his house to eat or drink 
a little bread a little water and solitude in place of that blessing from heaven which we call a sister a mistress a wife but after all why should not he also dine merrily and abundantly could he not go and dine wheresoever he liked had he not money in his pocket from the last game he had sold to the host of the bull d'or and could he not spend on himself as much as the wedded couple and all their guests together he had only himself to please and by my faith he exclaimed i am an idiot indeed to stay here with my brain racked by jealousy and my stomach with hunger when with the aid of a good dinner and two or three bottles of wine i can rid myself of both torments before another hour is over i will be off to get food and better still to get drink in order to carry this determination into effect thibault took the road to fertimillon where there was an excellent restaurant known as the dauphin d'or able it was said to serve dinners equal to those provided by his head cook for his highness the duke of orleans end of chapter fourteen recording by john van stan savannah georgia